Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. If you're dealing with a customer service issues where most problems can be solved with a sincere apology and a pittance, you know, refunding a few dollars or taking a few dollars off the next bill or whatever it is, then you're probably not in this boundary where it's going to strategically make sense to create hurdles. And I said, well, how much is the customer asking for? And they said, I think it was something like $2,000. And I said, I said, that one meeting you've had probably cost that amount, let alone all of the other stuff that you put the customer through and all the other costs and everything else. And the danger is what a lot of organizations do is they make the customer repeat the problem 27 times before something gets done. Colin, there's a coffee shop that's attached to the business school building that I work in. Right. They somehow seem to have optimized their service time, but not in the way you would think. They don't optimize it so that it's always as fast as possible. Right. They seem to have optimized it so that it's always about a 15 minute wait. So <laughs> if if the place is just slammed with people, you're waiting about 15 minutes for your food. Yeah. If you were the only one in there, they will somehow still make your way. Yeah. I don't know how they do it. I, I, I assume there's very sophisticated software involved. <laughs> Extensive training. I, I don't yeah. know. So they've fallen for the, there's a big software company with a, with a marketing budget and they've built this wonderful software that will save the universe and the answer is 15 minutes. That may be it. That, that may, <laughs> maybe there was a, a planet-sized computer that was built to determine the answer and the answer was 15 minutes. If this is a bit like a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yes, you know, that was exactly know? it. That was exactly 40, the, the answer is 42. 42 and 15 minutes. And 15 minutes <laughs> for your coffee. This is a common experience that we all have where we are waiting in line on the telephone to talk to a company or we're waiting for somebody to get back to us. And we know they can do it faster because we've seen them do it. We've, we know that this is a thing that can be accomplished. There was a really interesting bit of research that came out recently and was written up in the Harvard Business Review under the title, Why is Customer Service So Bad? Because It's Profitable. That was the title of the article. It was done by uh, two marketing professors, Anthony Dukes and uh, Yi Zhu. We'll put the link in the blog that we do, and we'll put the link in the show notes as well. Fascinating bit of research and, and a fascinating article. And what they essentially found in, in looking at some of the, the numbers from some companies is it's not always the case that this bad customer service is a case of ineptitude on the part of the company. They found evidence that these are 
are sometimes, in fact, deliberate strategies to force customers to wait longer in phone queues or to force customers to have to jump through multiple hoops to get something done. And the reason that they've these companies have done it is because they have determined it saves them money. So if you can force people to kind of give up before they actually talk to a customer service rep and hang up and, and decide to try again later, there's some percentage of those people who won't try again later. And so then you don't need to worry about giving them a refund or, or whatever it is. So sometimes these bad customer experiences are not inept, they're strategic, and they're strategic from the perspective of saving money. And so when I when I read this, I thought, Colin's going to have an opinion. We should talk about this. I now realize where I've gone wrong with my consultancy practice for the last 18 years. <laughs> I'm glad okay. I could help you. <laughs> Because I I had been laboring under this misapprehension that what I should be doing is advising to improve customer experience. So if they want to get growth, then guess what? You need to improve the experience. I should have been telling them to do things worse. No wonder I haven't succeeded. There you go. You, you know, it had to go one way or the other. It really could have gone <laughs> either way. You flipped a coin, you chose wrong. So let me take the contrary view from this this article for a moment. And and I'm sure, to be honest with you, I, I'm sure, absolutely sure that they've the guys have done the research and I'm sure they could statistically show that this is the case. And I, I wouldn't be at all surprised in some organizations that th- this is the, the case. But to say that this is a short-term a short-term ploy would be an understatement. And my gut tell me that it's not everybody's doing this. Most of it is just down to incompetence, to be totally honest. Yeah, I, I agree with that too. This was not based off of like an extensive data set that covered all companies. They were dealing with the, the data that they had and within the data that they had, they found that this was the case. But yeah, this is certain. There, there are definitely inept companies out there also. Yes, and I think there there are more inept companies out there than the one that actually tried to put some science behind the numbers and then think that this is the strategy. But let's widen the discussion because customer complaints is a sort of a, an interesting topic and the costs involved in them. So let me give you an example of a, an a interesting experience I've had recently, and then let's let's maybe pull it apart and, and and talk about some of the costs and stuff like that. You know, I split my time between England and the state. Therefore, um, I enjoy having two mobile phone companies, one in the UK, one in the US, two of everything, basically. Long and short of it is when I was in England, my provider here is a company called O2. They sent me a text message saying, are you satisfied with us? And I sent them a text message back going, nah. Uh, I'm not going to bore you with all the details, but thanks you know, for asking. But you know. <laughs> thanks for asking. But no, I'm not. Long and short of it is, is this started off good because the, I actually got a call within half an hour of saying no, it's not very good. To ask me why, and I thought this is pretty good. I basically went through the litany of of reasons, which I, I won't bore everybody with. The account manager at the end of the line basically said, "I tell you what, we're going to do. We're going to replace your SIM cards because that could be." part of the problem and I said that's absolutely fine so next day I'm still waiting for the sim cards to go out in fact take my my wife to um, see Rod Stewart at the arena in London and guess what our phones don't work we're living the modern life okay we've got on the tube and I don't know which tube station to get off of because I was just going to look it up when I jumped on the tube won't bore you with a whole uh, with a whole panoply of uh, issues, but the arena we went to was actually called the O2 Arena. They sponsor it, <laughs> which I thought was quite ironic. So I thought, 
I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go into the O2 arena and go into the O2 shop and they'll be able to solve this problem. Well, again, trying to condense the story. Long and short of it, they couldn't do it. Took another two or three phone calls, me getting annoyed even more. And then finally, three or four days later, I was sitting at home and suddenly six SIM cards turned up as opposed to the two that we actually wanted and then had to work out which SIM cards to put in, etc. So <laughs> the irony is this started off by them asking how good their service was and me saying it's not very good. <laughs> so do you think my... Uh, do you think it's improved since then, you know, uh, I had that experience or got worse? That's amazing. Yeah. But I guess the, but I guess when you actually break it down and get into the point I, I wanted to get to, think of the cost of that. Okay. Think of how many times you got the cost of it from a customer perspective and therefore me getting more and more annoyed, me telling lots of people, me now telling everybody on the podcast and in the blog and blah, 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 blah. So think of the cost of that. Think of the cost of just having to manage all those interactions that I was having. And if you added all of those up, you know, that adds up to a lot of, that adds up to a lot of money, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think the issue for, for me is that I guess the reality is is the theory would go with this article. If they had decided to ignore me, then they wouldn't have incurred all of those costs because I would have just kept wait been waiting in a queue for four hours and therefore decided just not to bother and everything else. So clearly that's not the case again with most organizations. So I, you know, I often say that CEOs don't wake up in the morning and go, right what is it we can do to screw the customer up today? Let's see if we can really create this bad experience for, for, for customers. I mean, it just doesn't happen that way. Well, this research suggests that there may at least be a couple of them out there that are doing that. Um, and are they all employed by cable companies? <laughs> that may have been the exclusive data set they were working with. As Colin is now tired of hearing, one of my little hobby horses is how do we best apply science to the real world? What can we do with findings? I've got no complaints about the science that these two professors did. As far as I, I can tell, as far as I know, they, this was you know perfectly great modeling of the data and, and the insights that they drew were perfectly fine. The question then becomes, what do we do with that? And from that perspective, it's really useful to consider boundaries. So this finding is true as far as it goes, but it's not universally true because there's no finding in science that's universally true. So we need to figure out, like, when would this be true? And I think that, especially when something really surprising comes out of the social sciences and is published in The Economist or The New York Times, uh, people talk about it. It's useful to to think about, OK, well, that can happen, not that always happens or that will happen or that will happen for me. So but I've got some opinions, but, but you know, I want you to think too about That's just when. Surprise, isn't it? <laughs> hey, I wasn't able to see Rod Stewart in concert, but I'm still worthy <laughs> enough to have opinions. I know that that's how we rank our relative power and prestige here, Colin. But if, if we're going to think about when this might happen, the most obvious boundary to me is it's only likely to drive profitability for you as a firm to strategically have bad customer service if there's very low competition around you, right? So if you are competing in an industry where it's very low switching costs, it's very easy for people to move away from you and they have lots of options, then 
saving money by creating a bad experience in the short term for one customer is going to result in that customer just leaving you, right? So if we're looking for when it makes sense to to have a bad experience strategically, having high barriers to, to switching, having high costs there, so lock-in contracts, for example, having very uh, few options, those are conditions where this might happen. So basically you're talking about effectively monopolies. If you think about most government organizations, okay, you know, that, that, that's where this type of thing occurs. Or as you say, with a, you know, a, a high cost of switching or when you're providing a unique service. I mean, we joke about the cable companies, but I mean, that's one of the reasons why there's a problem there. Oh, especially in the US. In the US, most cable uh, internet service providers operate in quasi monopolies. It's very, very close to being, you know, you only got one, maybe two options. To a certain extent, some cell phone service can be that way too. You sign these long-term contracts. There's not that many options. So that's one boundary condition we'd want to consider. No, absolutely. And as you say, I mean, it's interesting because uh, as I've been being annoyed with my mobile phone company here, and when I say here, I happen to be in England at the moment, part of the issue is that when you actually look at it, it the marketplace looks quite broad, but actually there's there's four providers. So again, a bit like in the States, but people white label the network. So actually you end up dealing with the same network anyway. So, But monopolies is, is absolutely one of them. I think one of the things that bugs me, and this is not just about sort of customer complaints, but organizations in in general do not look at the lifetime value of a customer yeah they don't turn around and say well how much is this customer worth over a period of 10 20 years whatever the period of time is at most organizations look at well how much is this customer going to spend with us this year or maybe over the next couple of years and they they don't look at the lifetime value of a customer, which I think if they did, would make the calculations around where are we going to get growth and how are we going to, are we focusing on acquisition or are we focusing on retention would suddenly make it a hell of a difference. Yeah, good. Excellent. So that would be another boundary on these findings is they are likely limited to the way profitability was measured by these researchers. You know, so as you point out, there's lots of different ways of measuring profitability. Kind of what costs do you include in there? Are you including the customer acquisition costs and com- computing your profitability? Are you computing lifetime value over what horizon? All of these things will shift what profitability numbers you're coming out. You know, there's also measures beyond direct profitability that you might care about. You know, word of mouth that might make it harder, easier for you to acquire different customers, which may or may not be measured in any particular study. So that's another boundary. Let Beyond Philosophy help you discover what your customers really want, not what they say they want, by uncovering the hidden drivers of value in your customer experience to create real ROI. Contact Beyond Philosophy by going to beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. I think the two other things that I wanted to to mention, one was, uh, again, a little story. I, I remember a being and in fact this is interesting because it was a utility it was actually a water utility that we were doing some work with and I was speaking to one of the senior directors and he arrived late to a meeting that I was having with him and he said oh sorry I'm late he said I'm just been dealing with a customer complaint and I said all right you know what's what's all that about 
and he said, oh, well, you know, customer complaining about, um, actually it was about sewerage being in their house, which is not a good thing, <laughs> but flooding there. I mean, it's a big issue. If, you, if you're in the industry, you'll know it's a big issue, big, big issue for customers as well. Anyway, long and short of it was I started to dig in a bit more. Turns out that this customer had been through about six or seven different layers of management to get up to them. They were finally having a meeting where there were 12 senior people in this meeting talking about this one customer complaint. And I said, well, how much is the customer asking for? And they said, I think it was something like $2,000. And I said, I said, that one meeting you've had probably cost that amount, let alone all of the other stuff that you put the customer through and all the other costs and everything else. And I, and I guess I don't think that people look at complaints they look at them in, in isolation rather than looking at them holistically and looking at all the costs of the people being involved and the time and the effort, let alone, as I say, from the customer side, from a life cycle perspective or lifetime value perspective. Yeah, no, it's a great point. You know, I mean, if you if you include all the hours that management or other employees spend on these problems, you know, that they might have been able to just build that customer a new house and saved money. Well, they probably could have, yeah. Yeah, no, it's an excellent point. Another boundary condition on this is just this point, how expensive are the problems to solve? So if you're if you're dealing with a customer service issues where most problems can be solved with a sincere apology and a, a pittance, you know, refunding a, a few dollars or taking a few dollars off the next bill or whatever it is, then you're probably not in this boundary where it's going to strategically make sense to create hurdles for your customers. You may be in an, in, in an industry where that's not the case, where any customer complaint results in, in just kind of a, a huge loss to the company. And so then it may be profitable to create bad customer experiences. But that would be another boundary that we would need to worry about. I think there's an interesting bit here, and I'm, and I'm not sure where it comes from a sort of a psychological perspective, but... I, again, not wishing to harp on about cable companies. However, they just present such a large <laughs> target. I mean, they're, they do. Just, they're just asking for it. But I'm, I'm actually going to say something that, that is actually, I guess, pro them to a certain oh, extent. Wow. Look at us being all balanced and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so when I've had problems with them in the past, okay, and I've then said, okay, is there some type of financial compensation that you're going to give me because of this? They turn around and go, okay, we'll give you $20 off or $10 or something like that. And I think, no, you're joking. You know, the effort that I've put in, the the fact that I've been without this for, a you know, a, a week, that's much more, more than, than $10. However, when you then go, well, okay, how much do you pay a month and what's actually a dollar worth? And it actually comes out as on like ten dollars. You just go, actually, you undervalue some of these services, and it really does make me wonder whether there's an opportunity. Whereas, if you were guaranteed to have a hundred percent service, yeah, all the time at a fast speed, I'd probably pay double what I'm paying now to have that guarantee. On one side of it, I'm going, actually, this service is really valuable and I can't be without the internet for a, for a week. But actually, how much am I paying? I'm actually, really, don't tell them, don't be quiet about this one. 
I'm not paying them a lot of money and I'd pay them a lot more. But as long as it was reliable, basically. Well, well, that's the rub, isn't it? As long as there was no problems with it. Now we're talking about some kind of hypothetical space service that doesn't exist. But yeah, no, there are a lot of these things that we value only in their absence, right? You don't think twice about your electricity or your water service until something goes wrong. Yeah, you take them for granted. I've got one other thing that I want to talk about. Have you got any more boundaries that you want to go through? Just kind of what we were mentioning there towards the end. The other kind of hidden boundary condition on this is if you run the numbers and find we could save a lot of money if X percentage of our customers gave up before they got a resolution. The other hidden boundary there is you're doing a lot of things wrong. You're terrible at providing customer service. If you're generating that many complaints, so that would be the, like if, if you're doing a decent job with your customer service and your customers are generally happy and you don't have a lot of, of failures, then you are almost certainly not within this bound where you're going to make more profit by making things worse for your customers. So I think things are already pretty bad. I, I would encourage those those firms to take a step back and wonder if they have like kind of a moral or ethical responsibility to treat their customers better, even over profitability. Okay, so last thing, Ron, I wanted to talk about, which I think is really important. This goes to my favorite subject about memory. Yep. Mm-hmm. So we we know that when you recall something, if you think back to an experience that you had, so let's assume you had a bad experience last Tuesday, and you recall that memory, we know that by definition of you recalling that memory, that that memory changes. Yeah. And we've talked a lot about this on different podcasts. And if you haven't listened to this type of thing, then for me, this is really, 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 really important. So pick out any of the podcasts we've done on memory. But the important aspect here is that with a customer complaint, you recall a memory, yeah? you recall what happened. You may turn around and say, for instance, in my example, my SIM cards still haven't turned up. My phone is still not working. And therefore, every time you recall that, you are reinforcing a bad memory and making it worse. And the danger is what a lot of organizations do is they make the customer repeat the problem 27 times before something gets done. As they force their way through all those barriers, through all those layers of management. And yep, yep. Absolutely. And and all it does is it makes it worse. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And, and creates that memory uh, that makes it even worse. Kind of re-traumatizing the customer every time. Yeah. Well, actually, increasing the trauma, basically. You're layering upon layering as you go, basically. So anyway, I just wanted to make that last point. Usual question. What does this mean that we should do? What advice would you give? Right. I, I mean, I would go back to this this idea of boundaries. Look, there are businesses for whom these findings are likely absolutely true, where it makes business sense to make things worse for your customers because that increases your profits. I would caution businesses from jumping into this with, with both feet. Consider 
what is the marketplace you're in. You know, as much as Colin and I like to to poke at cable providers, they may exist in those boundaries where it makes business sense for them to create terrible customer experiences. That's just the black and the white of it. Many, many businesses are not there. Their customers have opportunities to shop elsewhere. There are high acquisition costs. And there are uh, lots of competitors for them to try. So, you know, be very cautious about this. Um, and if, if, we're have, if we have to, to set a default, you know, part of the reason that these findings were surprising is because it runs contrary to our intuitions. That's a good sign that maybe there may be kind of limited generalizability of them. Maybe the default is probably striving for better customer experience. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the bit I would I would add is, you know, the good thing about the article is it is thought provoking, but what underpins it is numbers. Okay. So I would encourage people to start looking at the numbers. So what does that mean? Start looking at how many complaints you've got coming in. Start looking at the process or the procedure that you put customers through, but start looking at the costs of dealing with those complaints, because I don't think people really understand the costs of dealing with the the complaint. And look at the costs from two sort of aspects. One aspect is more of an internal aspect. Well, okay, so in other words, this person spent 10 minutes talking to this agent, they spend 20 minutes talking to the manager, they then phone back and spent, you know, four hours talking to a senior manager. I'm exaggerating to make a point. Coming up with a number. Oh, you you and I could talk to a, a senior manager for four hours complaining <laughs> about something. There are people out there who exist. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. But also looking at it from the cost of, uh, lifetime value. If you're going to lose this customer, then how many are you going to lose and what's the lifetime value? So in other words, underpin all these things with numbers, because I think that organizations would be really, really, really surprised at the costs of a poor experience. And then even start looking at the upside of if you fix these things and you don't get many complaints and how many people do you get that are actually going to be start to proactively tell others that you're doing a great job and therefore what's the what's the upside so it's a great point don't stop at the easy numbers some of these costs are very easy to tally but they may only tell part of the total story and it may be a very important part that's missing yeah genuinely worked with organizations where if you've got a customer complaint department of five or six people you can reduce it in half by improving the experience and therefore gaining more growth and reducing your costs, you know? So anyway, um, so I hope that's been of use to everybody. If you've got any suggestions of what we should be covering or just want to reach out to us, then please do so by just dropping us a line at contact at beyondphilosophy.com. That's contact at beyondphilosophy.com. And we'll look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks a lot. Cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.